excited to come together in the house of the Lord. Amen? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Oh man, you guys are going to have to wake up this morning. I'm excited to go. Well, this is the week of Thanksgiving, so I'm going to read this psalm. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is good. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Can we say, for the Lord is good? For the Lord is good. Thank you. Come on. For the Lord is good. Will you stand and worship with me this morning? Now, I was raised in a black church, so you guys are going to have to clap on one and three, right? All right? (laughs) You are my strength. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. As a precious jewel, Lord, you give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Oh, Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name.
sin, my cross, my shame. Rising again, I bless your name. You are my all in all. When I fall down, you pick me up. When I am dry, you fill my cup. You are my all in all. Oh, we call on Jesus.
Good morning, North Shore Community Church. It's so good to have everyone worshiping with us here this morning. Isn't it just a glorious morning to be together? To get our announcements, we want to make sure that we have a registration of everyone here with us today. So we ask that you look inside those bulletins and pull out your white connection card that's in there. Please fill that information out, and a little later in the service when the ushers come by, um, put in the plate so we have a record of your attendance with us. We'd like to especially welcome our first-time guests with us. We're very pleased that you've chosen to worship with us. And we, too, want to make sure that we have an opportunity to acknowledge your presence with us. So fill out that connection card and drop in the offering plate. We are going into our 11th year of partnership with Memorial Presbyterian Church in Roosevelt for our Angel Tree program. Maggie Laska has coordinated this program for many years for us, and we're most gracious for that effort. And she would like to come up and say just a few words about our Angel Tree program this morning. Uh, good morning. Um, uh, as you know, this is a, a program that is near and dear to the hearts of those here at North Shore Community Church. And for people that are new this year, uh, this is an effort we make with Memorial Presbyterian Church in Roosevelt. We buy gifts for children whose parents are incarcerated at Nassau County Jail. And I say parents because this year, for the first time, um, the team went in and not only did they work with the women, but with the men. So we have uh, children whose fathers are incarcerated as well. Last year we had a low number of, of, of children because um, not that many women were incarcerated, praise God. And the same thing happened this year. So they went over to the men's um, jail. And uh, so now we have 73 children this year that need to be adopted. So uh, we appreciate your efforts uh, to buy these children a toy or an article of interest and some clothing uh, to be dropped back here on December 7th. The angels will be available this week, and if there's any left, next Sunday as well. They're available on a table downstairs right after services. I'll be down there and answer any questions you might have. And there's a big instruction sheet that really specifies exactly what you need to do. And all of these gifts are given out at a party to be held on December 13th at Memorial Presbyterian Church, where the true meaning of Christmas is given. There's no Santa Clauses. It's all about a happy birthday to Jesus party, and it's just a delight where the children not only receive gifts, but they receive hope. And, you know, uh, just knowing that, you know, there are, things are better than what they have now. And these are very needy children who have been through a lot. Many of these children are repeaters, and their parents have been incarcerated for quite some time. Um, so we appreciate your cooperation in and, and this great project. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much, Maggie. We'd also like to draw your attention to the fact that we are upon Thanksgiving, of course, and in our church calendar, we have a very special event coming up Wednesday night of this week. This will be our Thanksgiving Eve praise service, praise and thanksgiving service. And this is a very special time because it's an opportunity for you to come out and praise God and give him thanks for the many blessings that he has bestowed upon you over the course of this year. So you'll have the opportunity to do that. But additionally, if you're not interested in sharing, please come out anyway because it's a tremendous time just to sit and listen to others as they share the, the blessings that, that God has given them. So please, 7.30, Wednesday night, come out and join us for that time. 
All right, now we would like the kids to come on down. Kids, we are going to send you down to Children's Church for those who are going. So we ask you to come up, and Pastor Martin is going to pray for you. Thank you, Jim. It's time and service when a stampede of wild, yeah, these things come running down. And we see how the Lord has blessed us and blessed us beyond just... Anyway, I'll tell you that when I set up the chairs downstairs for kids' service in the morning, I set up like 40 chairs or so, and I pray that God will fill every seat. Not thinking that it'll actually happen. And yet this is what the Lord our God gives to us. And several times I've had to set out more and extra chairs because parents are bringing children to know the Lord And so, we're about ready to send you down for worship and Sunday school, so let's pray. Hands together, eyes closed, heads bowed, but I'm looking at you to make sure that you're doing these things. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for these children that you have brought to us who will come and to learn about your word, about you through your word, and their need for a Savior, Jesus Christ, a Savior who has come. Bless each one of them that they might focus and pay attention, obey and listen, and be with each of their teachers and leaders who give up of their comfort and their time so that the children might know the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, go, run. And, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Jamal, would you read this for us? Or did you already have Christine? Sure. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. the siren.
Gracious Father, we just first come with humble hearts, and we ask that you use this time to open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears to your word. Lord, we pray that as the word of God is proclaimed today, that our hearts will be changed, our lives will be convicted, and that we will continue to learn to live to be more holy and righteous. Lord, we thirst for you. We thirst for more of you each and every day. And so, God, be in the midst of us today. Let all that we do here today exalt you forevermore. Lord, bless us and continue to bless us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. from the Heidelberg Catechism, question 45. A catechism is very helpful. It's a teaching tool, lots of times for children, for new believers, but it also reinforces our faith. And it's one of those things where if you know this, then you can share it. This is one of the ways that we want to equip 
the body to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And also make sure you're firm on areas that you might uh, not have been, not have realized you were weak on. So the question, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? Let us read the answer together. First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are already raised to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. Amen. John Morkin, brother, would you come forth and lead us in intercessory prayer? As uh, you saw here a moment ago, the kids, again, were told by Martin to close their eyes, fold their hands, bow their heads. And that's an admonition to them, not because they're kids and otherwise unruly. It's an admonition to all of us. Jesus himself, on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 6, said, Don't be like the hypocrites who stand up there and make a big show. Go into your inner room and pray in secret. Well, hold it. There's no inner room here. We're all together. How do I do that? He didn't say that's only when you're at home, when you're doing your early morning devotions. That was him teaching the people how to pray. We go into our inner room by closing off everything around us other than Jesus. We focus solely on Jesus. So when they're, the kids are told to bow their heads, close their eyes, fold their hands, it's to get rid of everything else and focus on Jesus. So I'm going to ask all of you now to pray in your inner room in secret. So let's just take about 15 minutes, do that, and 15 seconds, excuse me, <laughs> do that quietly, and then I'm going to pray uh, our prayer together. But as I'm praying, please pray in your inner room. Jesus, you are so sweet and so powerful, both. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And this morning, as we have praised you, as we have worshipped you in song, we have been lifted up to look at you and see your beauty. And I pray that you... In hearing us, are rejoicing. I, I think of Paul and Silas in prison. And as they sang at midnight, the earth shook because it, the, the heavens first shook with joy at their song. And I know heaven is shaking. And it's not just our song. It's just we are part of the church broad Churches all over are lifting up their voices and their hearts to you. Thank you, Lord, for your graciousness. We're going into Thanksgiving. Oh, Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. And again, I don't care what our circumstances are. Let us lift our eyes to you and raise our hearts in Thanksgiving.
And what are we thankful for? I'm looking past Thanksgiving to that blessed day of Christmas when we can celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, when God himself came to earth to save sinners like us, to raise us up from the dunghill, and to lift us up to be children of God. Yes, you conquered death. You conquered the grave so that we could live life eternal with you under your protection, receiving you the bread of life. My confession today and my confession for our church is that we don't lift our eyes enough around us to those who do not know you and do not have that joy that comes from knowing you. Lord, convict us of this and let us not rest being self-satisfied. Oh, yes, we are saved. Oh, Lord, bring in, the, bring in the harvest, Lord. The harvest is great. The reapers are few. Let us go out. Now, Lord, I pray for some specific needs of this church. I heard yesterday that Jim Park had torn his Achilles. That's not a minor injury. That's a major injury. So we pray for healing. Lord, in the name of Jesus, you are the healing God. We ask for healing. That's a major injury to us. For you, major, minor, it's all minor. But Lord, for Jim, it's major. And for his family, it's major. We ask for healing. Mike Rant, of course, is with the lymphoma coming back. When cancer returns in any form, it's always fearsome. So we pray for courage. Let him know that you are with him and his family with Suzanne. But again, we pray for healing. Oh, yes. Thank you, Lord. Now, our dear pastor is out, uh, out east in the Hamptons. We pray for him as he ministers there from the book of Nehemiah. Thank you, Lord, that this church could be a part of your growing church here in the New York area by helping sister churches become churches. And that's what they're doing out there. Bless them. Lord, I just want to thank you again for the opportunity we have to help little children and families of incarcerated folks, men and women. Oh, Lord, does that speak to your righteousness to reach out and love those, those folks well? And help. thank you again. Just, it's, it's our blessing that we have that opportunity. Now, as Martin preaches the word, we pray that he is strong in you, in the strength of your might. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. And now, as the ushers come forth to receive the offering, and if you're a visitor, newcomer today, keep your wallet in your pocket. We don't want it. <clears throat> And uh, this is a time for the members of the church to give as they have been given and to show that what they have is not their treasure, but it is Jesus Christ. And so as the ushers come forth to receive the offering, Jamal will lead us in a special rendition of this wonderful, beautiful song. Seed a shoe. 
Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his Praising my 
say that the sermon is the highest height of the worship service. Sometimes it's hard after worshiping and praising God like that to envision how that could possibly be the case, and yet it's absolutely true because what we have here is what we were waiting for. This is what we were trying to arrive at as we open in prayer, as we turn to the Lord. The worship service is this pilgrimage, like up a mountain, like going up to Jerusalem, singing songs, praising, praying, remembering, until you get to this point where it is the word of the Lord spoken to His people in love, in provision, thankfully has very little to do with the ability and the, just a person standing before you and all about what God is doing here among us. Thankfully, it is the Holy Spirit working in me that will make something good, and it is the Holy Spirit working in you, which will respond to that good word that is preached. And so let us pray for the Holy Spirit to be active and present here. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. We thank you for big and little things, the beautiful weather today, the safety of being able to gather without the threat of just government coming down on us and soldiers and police. Lord, we thank you for able, gifted musicians who love you and love your people like Jamal and Donna and Ian and Mark. Lord, we thank you for all the souls here, even as we prayed for the children earlier. But most of all, we thank you for you. It is you we have come to worship. It is you we have waited for. And Father, you have shown your love for us by sending Jesus, your Son, that he might be our Savior. Jesus, it is you we long to see. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts. Open my mouth, literally, and open my friend's ears that it is the Word which turns us to Jesus that is before us right now. Otherwise, what's the point? We wasted all of that on nothing. But you have promised that we can seek you and you will be found by us. 
Help us seek you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praying for me, not feeling my best this morning. So we are continuing our series in the book of Ruth. And for those of you who missed out, Ruth, this was a time in Israel before there were kings, but after Moses and Joshua. So no good leadership. We were in a leadership vacuum and lots of bad things going on. Israel did not do what they were supposed to do. They did not drive out the enemy, and so now they are living with the enemy in their land, and they are not turning to the Lord in worship of Him, and they are losing, losing this battle, and they have one leader called the judge who comes up, things are good for a while, then goes down, and then another one and goes down, another one and goes down, and the quality of these judges, these leaders, just keeps on getting worse, and it is during that time that this, uh, what is laid out for us in the book of Ruth, has happened. There's famine in the land of Israel. And John said in weeks past that famine should not exist in the land of Israel. Israel not, is not governed simply by the laws of nature, as if there are just laws of nature and not a God over them. But God told the Israelites, when there's a famine in the land, it's because you have turned away from me. And so with all this turning away from him, there's famine in the land. And the family of Elimelech with his wife Naomi and two sons. They go to Moab, to the land of the enemy, all right, the backward cousins who hate you. And they go because there's supposed to be food there, but Elimelech dies there. But then, even worse, Naomi's sons precede her in death as well, and they die there. And Ruth, or I'm sorry, and Naomi is now left alone and coming back. To Israel because they hear that there is food once again. But she sends her daughter-in-laws who are willing to come with her at first. She says, you're not going to get any more sons out of me. Go back to your parents. Go back and stay in your land. Orpah goes back. Ruth. Ruth does not. In fact, she says this most wonderful statement of hesed love, of steadfast, constant loyal, faithful love. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And so Ruth returns with Naomi to Israel. Naomi renames herself, tells her friends, call me Mara, which means bitter, for I have gone away full and returned empty. And now we are at Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. 
Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. May God bless this reading of his word. Three points to today's message are hunger, the desperate emptiness of the fall, bread, God's faithful provision, and Jesus, the Hesed bread of life. Now, Suzanne Collins' book, Made Movie, came out this weekend, Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1. And sad to say, in a country like America, where pets are given more food than other people in the world might have access to on a daily basis, hunger is one of those things that might be kind of distant from us. In fact, no one... No one in the Hunger Games looks particularly hungry. <clears throat> so, just nice, plump, Campbell soup can kind of kid looking. So, plus, you don't get pecs and abs from being malnourished and underfed. So, let me see what I can do in painting a clearer picture of hunger that you can connect with. Because that is what we are at in Ruth chapter 2. See, Ruth, she tells Naomi... Let me go to the field and glean. Let me beg. Let me look and scrounge. Essentially, let me go dumpster diving and see what is left. And maybe for us here in this country, hunger isn't the thing. Desperate need isn't the thing that pops up, especially in the 21st century where you can go to Costco and get fruit of all seasons available at any time. January to December, I can eat strawberries. It's not how the world actually works, especially in one area. And so, their very great need. You see, they came back to Israel because they heard that there was food there. Well, you know, I hear that Bank of America over there has money. It's got nothing to do with me. Just because there's food somewhere doesn't mean that they're going to get it. 
Elimelech might have had some land in Israel that he left and abandoned. But if there aren't people to buy seed and cultivate that land, there's nothing for them. And also, the time of year, that's done, that's over. This is the time of harvest. So they're looking at winter and trying to scrounge whatever that they can so they don't starve. And that's what's, what's the situation they were. And Ruth had it even worse because she's a foreigner. All right? Israel are the Hatfields, and the Moabites are the McCoys. She's one of them. Doesn't look like us, doesn't talk like us. She's not one of us. And the Lord even said, don't be kind to the Moabites because they weren't kind to you, even though they should have been. So there's even that too. Strike one. Then strike two. I already said, what is she going to do? What, was, what is this work that she is going to do to try to bring food for her mother-in-law that they might live? And it's begging. And how far do you think that's going to go? How productive do you think begging in an agrarian society is going to be? You know, maybe you will get enough for that day. Could you possibly get enough in however much time there is to harvest to make it through the winter? And it's the spring, too, because just because things start growing doesn't mean it's good eating. And then third, you know, she's a vulnerable woman. And this is the land, you know, the, in the book of Judges, it's described, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What do people do when they are just using themselves as a moral compass? A big part of the problem of the land right now is that the Philistines were coming and stealing and robbing. So she had them to worry about. But then, why would she expect any protection or assistance from Israelite men as well? And she's going to encounter them. Because who does the reaping? I'll get to that in a second. And so, three strikes against her amidst living in a really rough time. Kind of, I don't know, I've never read the book, but uh, Love in the Time of Cholera. Is that a book? I don't know. So, I think of that. But hunger. What is hunger? All right, here's a picture. Uh, Someone escaped North Korean prison camp and wrote a biography called Aquariums of Pyongyang. And he writes this about hunger. People who are hungry don't have the heart to think about others. Something they, sometimes they can't even care for their own family. Hunger quashes man's will to help his fellow man. I've seen fathers steal food, food from their own children's lunchboxes. As they, as they scarf down the corn, they have only one overpowering desire to placate, if even for just one moment, that feeling of insufferable need. Is that something you can relate to? We have some distance from that, but it's not as far off as you think. We live in a land and in a time of great plenty, but how many of us are one month's way away from not being able to pay the bills? Or how many of us are living hand to mouth? You know, our taxes on Long Island are what other people pay for mortgages. 
As John likes to point out, we pay a dollar for a donut in Long Island. It's so much cheaper everywhere else. And the stress of providing for yourself, for your family is there. Now, I'm not trying to make an equivalency there. I'd much rather have what we're having than this time or what this North Korean brother had described. And yet, we are always living in the face of need. And we're only one just gigantic solar flare away from going back to this time anyway, so... So let's be sympathetic. Now, what is it about hunger? Hunger is this desperate need. It's this emptiness that can't be satisfied. All right? It's not just, uh, stomach's a little rumbly. It's time for lunch. Now, hunger is when you have that rumble, and it goes on and on, and you can't satisfy it. There is no satisfaction to that. And where was that introduced? And it was at the fall with Adam and Eve. Because we know there was food in the garden, wasn't there? God told them, eat from any tree in the garden, except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eat. Cultivate that. Take dominion of it. Make it productive. Maybe make even better fruit combinations than God laid out initially. That's how I explained Honeycrisp apples. All right? So just doing things toward that end. That was what they were, that their work was to tend God's garden, but it was not because of the specter of hunger that there was no provision. That came with the fall after they sinned and things could not be the way that they were, that God could not be in wonderful and harmonious relationship with anymore because of their treasonous, adulterous sin and in them all of us as well. And so Genesis 3.17, as God is listing out the curses, he says to Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so now, because of sin, it will be hard. Because of sin, there is hunger that is not satisfied. And so, the Israelites, even after God rescued them from Egypt, the land of slavery, and they were in the wilderness, after the Red Sea parting, and them coming out the other side with the pillar of cloud and fire with them, God among them, they could still complain and say to Moses, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. insufferable, insatiable need. And to make it worse, we throw at ourselves at things that won't satisfy too. I mean, if we were just hungry and starving and working toward that which would feed us, would fill us up, then that would be one thing. But we're so sinful. 
God says in Isaiah 55, verse 2, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me, diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. And now you're seeing, as we're going to lay out in this sermon, that this hunger is a metaphor. There is a vacuum within us that must be satisfied, that we cannot do it. It has nothing to do with food. But instead of turning to those things, we will turn to everything else which will not satisfy. My father gave me a horrible illustration about hunger. He was alive. He was six to nine during the Korean War. And I asked him, what do you remember? And he said, I remember an entire year where I had one meal a day as a boy. And it was the same thing every day. It was this much of noodles, handmade noodles from wheat flour with saccharin. And I'm asking, wait, wheat? I mean, look at us. We're Asians. Where was the rice? And he said, we were too poor for rice. Which just struck me as profoundly as one of the just most wrong things I have heard in this life. Asians that are too poor for rice. And yet that's how they lived. That wheat flour, wheat, this thing that is just so easily made cult, uh, cultivated. You know, why is it bread? Why is it the wheat that it always boils down to? Because it, you can grow enough of it and store it and it will last. It's not like lettuce leaves and all this, you know, just you can't have kale in the winter, right? So it won't grow. But the wheat, you can store and you can eat it in the winter and you can plant it in the spring, in the, uh, spring and you can eat of it until you harvest again. Wheat works like that when other things won't. And so, wheat noodles. And then I said, but why saccharin? I mean, at least sugar gives you calories. I'm sure they're empty calories, but if you're starving, I mean, still. And he said, it's all we had. Uh, you little, little kids, um, saccharin, you know, it's the, it's the pink packet, all right, when you go to the diner. All right? It's like sweet and low. And there's no value to it at all. All it is is flavoring. There's nothing to it. And Scripture is saying that that's what we were like. In our hunger, we even turn toward that which doesn't satisfy. Like the mud cookies that we've heard and seen sold in Haiti, all right, where lard or something is mixed with mud and sold five for ten cents, given to people so that it will satisfy their hunger. And so, yeah, maybe their feeling of hunger is satisfied, but they are starving. Are you feeling a little bit of Ruth and Naomi's desperation right now? Good. Because we see, next point, bread, God's faithful provision. See, God did say that Adam would be eating bread might be hard to make that bread, right? But he would be eating bread, he and his descendants. And here in verse 4, behold, and in this provision, how do we see that provision laid out in this passage? Remember all those things, all those marks, those strikes against Ruth, foreigner, probably not going to be welcomed in, and begging and not being able to make enough, and vulnerable to those who would abuse her. 
And the narrator, oh, he's being kind of, kind of coy here. He's saying, and it just so happens that the field that she stumbles onto is Boaz's, a relative of Elimelech's. Not just any old relative, though, because what are the first things that we get to know about Boaz? What are the first things out of his mouth? The Lord be with you. Someone who seeks after the Lord. And that is the first step, the first example of God's gracious provision. That there is one who seeks after the Lord and wants others to know the Lord. Because it is in his greeting to others that he is saying, the Lord be with you. The Lord whom we cannot do without. And the reply, because he has taught his servants and his people way, well, the Lord bless you. And so now we know that he is one who serves and follows after the Lord. And the Lord God has made rules that he has given to his people, saying, follow these things to show that you will love me and you love each other. And they're the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God, you know, just, or uh, no other gods before me. Don't kill. But also within that, don't kill. To preserve and to love life. How do we know that? Because God gave little case law commandments after that saying, this is how you will do these Ten Commandments. Leviticus 23, 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after the harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And Deuteronomy 24, 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord, your God, may bless you in all the work of your hands. Let me paint this picture for you. So you have all these wheat stalks, all right? I don't even know if that's the right word, but let's go with stalks, all right? And what happens is, all right, Kirk is saying that's not the right word, so we'll get an education later. And men, men would come and gather handfuls and take their knife and cut at the bottom there. This is how it was done, so here, I I know better, all right? So, and they would lay it to the side and keep going and going, all right? They would be the reapers. And then following behind them, because they're serving girls as well here, there are glean, uh, the gleaners. They would gather these things up in baskets. And then when they had enough, they would bundle it together, all right? Stand, either stood up or on its side, but it would be a sheaf. So far, so All right. So, and what God was telling his people... Be unproductive. Don't get every last bit. All right? Because people would think, in any other nation, I mean, someone who owns that land, all of that stuff is there. All that produce is theirs. So they should get all of it. And God is saying, no, not in my land. Because whose is it? It is God's land. And God has concern for the foreigner, for the orphan, for the widow. And so, leave stuff. Don't go all the way out. Don't be so good at picking everything up. And if you forget anything there, leave it there. And that is one way that you will say in your life, I, the Lord, am your God. God is looking out. And so, with Boaz, we have someone who knows that. But he goes even further than that. He calls her my God daughter. The same thing that Naomi called Ruth, my daughter. And so what do we see? This welcoming in. 
This undeserved welcoming in. Someone is being allowed to become in and to be treated as she is part, as if she were a part of the covenant community when she is not. Have you ever felt on the outside and not brought in? Every day growing up on the kickball team, that was me. It stinks. How much worse when it's something that matters? And yet, that is not what Ruth has here. Boaz welcomes her in. And then, the unproductiveness of just, all right, picking, Boaz goes beyond. If God tells his people, be considerate, don't be 100% productive, Boaz is just telling his people, and just be sloppy messes. Do what no one would, I mean, I will, you know, just be so generous with what you leave. I make her think she's working for it, but drop stuff. It's like, oops, I left like two days worth of stuff right there. Oops, forgot that thing over there. He gives orders to his people, to his servants. And so do you know how much she came away with at the end of the day? She came away with half a month's worth of wages of food after, what, 10, 12 hours of laboring? Would that any of us were that productive in our labors? And God is saying, hunger shall be satisfied. I will provide. And we see God providing to his people. You see, even the Israelites here would know that because what did, what did, uh, just, what did they experience? What did their uh, forefathers experience in the desert after they complained to Moses? God gave manna from heaven. Literally, what is it? They had no idea. But God said, this will be bread for you. Gather enough for this day because I will give you enough for tomorrow. And make of it bread and eat. You will not die, you will live, for the Lord your God is providing for you. And then we see not just, not just welcome, and not just this abundant provision, but we see protection. Protection. Because there are young men in that field. All right? And you might have organizations where, all right, so some people are kind to others, but then you have jerks. But this guy, whom God has provided, he came from Bethlehem. He doesn't, does the owner come visit his stuff every day? Probably not. But on this day, when Ruth was there, God made sure Boaz would be there. And he orders his young men to care for her as if she were one of his own. Protection. Isn't our God good? Doesn't he care for those who are in need? And Ruth asks, how? How can you be this good to me? How can you be kind to me? Because, and she lists the reason, because she knows it in her mind. I'm a foreigner. I don't deserve this. Why me? And Boaz replies, he's got a reason. It's not just because he's kind. He says in verse 11, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, 
and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so Boaz is saying that in God's sight, there's an exchange of things going on. He accepts Hesed, steadfast, faithful love, and he rewards that with his own Hesed, steadfast, faithful love. And Ruth showed that for Naomi. And because of that, that love, the Lord himself through Boaz provides. And we know other words spoken like this. Everyone will do, be given as they have, been do- as they have done. But now we're running into a really big problem. All right, so if I can get God's Hesed's steadfast love by showing Hesed's steadfast faithful love, how am I going to do that? How can, how can I give this kind of love to someone else? And again, this is where we're, remember, this hunger a metaphor for something. This hunger speaks to an emptiness, a starvation that is deeper and more profound and more deadly than earthly hunger. And it is righteousness. It is our righteousness before God, standing before Him, that which Adam and Eve lost in the garden in the fall. In their sin, they lost their righteousness. They lost their ticket to entry in the garden. They lost their ability to be before their God, their creator, their provider, their perfecter, protector, their strength. What kind of steadfast, faithful love can we show that gets our righteousness back? And there is none. There is none. Nothing that we can do There is no hesed that we can show to anyone else in the world. And you could be Mother Teresa giving up your entire life forever until the day you die and you would not have done enough to set things right and to make up for this sin that we have against us. Which brings us now to the third and best point of the message. Because God did not leave us with grain for this life and damnation forever in the next. God did not leave us with miraculous manna from heaven and then say, you're fending for yourselves from now on. Because he sent us Jesus, the Hesed bread of life. See, the one who came in Matthew 5, 6 and said in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He is showing what we hungered for, what we were supposed to hunger for, righteousness. And then that manna episode, and people are saying, wait a second, Jesus, you're talking a lot about yourself, but our forefathers had manna. God gave us bread to eat. But Jesus said, wasn't Moses that gave it to you? It was my father who gives true bread from heaven. They said, give us this bread always, because Jesus had just fed 5,000 people, right? So they're thinking, hey, free ride, free lunch forever. And Jesus replies, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Manna, the grain, and the cooked food that Boaz gave to Ruth, and all provision that humanity has ever experienced in this life, as God has faithfully answered the prayer, give us today our daily bread. All of it points to the true satisfaction of our hunger. All of it points to Jesus Who came. And now here's the thing. Hesed love. God repays and rewards Hesed love. And that's what we can't show. We don't have that in us. But my friends, Jesus did. Jesus came. And Jesus showed that steadfast, faithful, compassionate, loyal love for us as he hung for us on the cross for our sins. So that his righteousness could become our righteousness and our hunger could be satisfied forever. And he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, which is given, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That is how he calls us to live. That is how he calls us to trust. Because we see his hesed love laid out for us. And now what happens? Well, God the Father repays Christ the Son's hesed love. And when Jesus asks for a reward, when he asks for a treasure, what does he ask for? Who does he ask for? He asks for us. He asks for us. We are his treasure. Why would he call us his treasure? We can ask the same question that Ruth asks. Why would you do this for me, a foreigner? We would ask, why would you do this for me, the sinner? To which the only answer we could ever hope to hear is, I love you because I loved you. And so, you know, and just look how consistent our Savior is. Why did Jesus start his ministry, his full ministry, those last three years of his life, with 40 days of fasting to show us Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so, we can, we do, in this life, go hungry. There are mud cookies and sadness. There are children whose ribs you can see with distended bellies, just giving an ironic lie because they're starving. But... We also know that we have the satisfaction of our true hunger, that though we die, that though he slay slay us, we can still trust him 
because He has provided for us that which we most needed, what we could not do for ourselves, that He had to do for us. And He calls us to live this life. In the sheep and the goats, what's the difference between the sheep and the goats? He says, when you went to the hungry and fed them, when you clothed the naked, when you went to the sick, when you went to those in prison, Jesus says, I count that as you having, it, having done it unto me. Now, the, the interesting thing is, he's never calling us just to do these things. But what happens to those people who are hungry? What happens for those people who are naked, who are in prison, who are sick? They are desperate and in need. And as you meet their earthly need, there is an opportunity to share who? Jesus Christ. Because you know and I know that they have a need far greater than these things that we can bring. Will we bring to them Jesus Christ? Even as we continue to be faithful in our church with our food pantry every Saturday and your giving. Even as we continue to be faithful with our thrift store there and our giving. Even as we continue to be faithful in disbursements to the widows in the wintertime. And even as we, with the Angel Tree Project, minister to the children and thereby their parents, those who are in prison. Will we also share Jesus Christ with them? Because you and I, we were starving. In fact, far worse than this picture, we were dead in our starvation. And Christ came, brought us back to life, and fed us that we would never hunger again. See, that's the last verse here. Boaz fed her. Not just, she didn't just get the raw product. But then... Boaz, out of his supply, more of his supply, gave to her cooked food, and she ate until she was satisfied. And Jesus Christ has come and will come again. And for all of us, he will fulfill the picture in Revelation 7, verse 16, that we who are in Christ shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore because he is our bread of life. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for sending the bread of heaven, the bread of life, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our friend, who gave to us his righteousness and took upon himself our unrighteousness that we might be brought in, that we might be fed and never go hungry again. Because we are your sons and daughters. Help us to treasure this over all other good news in our life. And help us to share this even as we meet the earthly needs of others in this life. And in that way, as Boaz said, we'll be those who go about saying, The Lord bless you because we have been blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now please rise and let us sing this song of Christ, our one vision together. Let this be the parting song of worship, but let us be the response of your hearts.
of God, sons and daughters of our Father in heaven, beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, his very treasure, the Lord commissions you. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all from now till forevermore. Amen and amen. The Lord bless you.